This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years travelling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Wayne Goldsmith is our regular on Wednesdays with Wayne's World. WGCoaching.com is his website. That's my coping mechanism, Wayne. I uh, I now refuse to refuse to acknowledge the Rugby World Cup. I'm into cricket mode. Mate, don't you wish that a week ago you and I had invested $1,000 in you know, New Zealand's leading pharmaceutical uh, company responsible for the sale and distribution of antidepressants? I reckon this week we might have cleaned up on that. But, um, mate, I, I do feel your pain. I do feel um, for it. Yeah, um, we, we've had a bit of pain. And I just wanted to actually drill down into a interesting little subplot here with regards to the All Blacks with you. And it, and it sort of, I guess, can transfer across to other sports as well. And that's how much focus is put into the very elite level of sport. You know, because sport, as we know, is... Is uh, is played, you know, at a grassroots level by by a, a huge number of people, and then that pyramid peaks up to the top where the elite level are. Is it a is it a good strategy for a lot of resource to be poured into the elite level with the hope that that will increase the popularity of that sport at grassroots level? I ten years ago, Piney, if you would have asked me, I would have um, been one of the people who said, you know what. We need national heroes. We need inspirational figures that young children can aspire to emulate. We need uh, superstars, you know, Olympic champions, and that will inspire the hearts and minds of young Australians, young Kiwis, and increase grassroots. I have to tell you, I have completely turned around on that. And but to give you an example, Swimming Australia and I are very, very critical of them. Uh, as you know from the past, I'm also just a great lover of swimming. It's more out of frustration than anything else. But Swimming Australia have just spent millions on a new program called Greatness Starts Somewhere. I think it's something along those lines. And they've started a national marketing campaign to promote the, the stars and the backstories behind the stars and to get kids at grassroots excited about it. And I looked at that and I've just, pull what little hair I've got left out because I just don't know that follows anymore. I don't know too many five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds now, maybe a while back, but you know, I don't know too many young kids who sit there and, and still have posters of athletes all over their walls and dream of Olympic glory at that young. You know, sport is, is about their friends in the next lane. It's about their families hanging out on the sideline and waving to them when they score a goal. It's about running around crazy like uh, mad cats and singing songs with their friends. I, I just think we've gone past this this period where we invested huge amounts of money at the top end, hoping that that would then inspire young athletes to want to take up that sport. I don't know that that still happens the way that it used to. The the top level still needs investment though, doesn't it, Wayne? Because even if it doesn't encourage, you know, a whole heap of people to take up the sport, 
it's good for, you know, things like, if I can be a bit cliche about it, the national psyche, you know, for, for to have successful sports teams, even if that doesn't necessarily mean that you get thousands and thousands of new grassroots and, and junior participants. And this is where it becomes very, very challenging, Piney. And, and I'll give you an example. There was a re- review done into Australian sport, high-performance sport a few years ago. And by, I think it was Ken Henry, who's a, a noted QC, very, very smart guy. And one of the recommendations he made in the report, and you can get it online, it's freely available, that one of the recommendations was that because the actual amount of money that was being invested in high-performance sport in the Olympic sports, the traditional Olympic sports, was decreasing, and that's the trend around the world. It certainly happened in New Zealand after the last Olympics, and it's happening all over the world. Because the number, the amount of money going into high-performance sport, Olympic sport, is decreasing, his words were quite fascinating. Pony. He said, I think we should be investing the bulk of our high-performance money in our culturally significant sports. And when he was questioned on that, he went to talk about it. He said, look, sure, we've got to look at maybe high-performance underwater hockey and we've got to consider do we want to put money into, uh, I don't know, tree climbing or whatever it is, because all those sports will have people who are passionate about what they do and will believe they're justified in receiving high-performance funding. But Henry said, you know, if the money's getting less in high-performance, which it is, I think we've got to invest in sports that represent our biggest opportunity for getting medals. And so for a country like Australia, that would be sports like swimming, of course, uh, athletics is a bit of a myth. I think we, we're lucky if we get one like, gold medal per Olympics. But, you know, sports cycling, certainly maybe rowing. Sports where over the last hundred odd years, where culturally we've been consistently good around uh, in world standards. And he got absolutely hammered by it. He got hammered, particularly by the smaller Olympic sports who said, well, that's not fair. What about the young kids who aspire to be? world-class, synchronised swimmers and so on. Why should they be disadvantaged? So he took a very pragmatic, very practical view on what to do as the money was drying up. And But politically and socially, he got absolutely smashed and, to be fair to say, they didn't really adopt that plan. Mm. Money for medals is a very short-term approach, isn't it? It, it? it doesn't speak at all to the long-term sustainability of a sport. Well, it doesn't, mate. It? But it depends on what your job is. So... If someone said, uh, I get a phone call from New Zealand Sport this morning, and they say, Wayne, we're an Olympic sport, we're a little bit off the pace, but we think we can win a medal next year. What would you do if that was what you were told, that was your KPI, that was what you've been asked to do? I would basically shift them to wherever the key performance centre is or the key competition centre. So if it was Euro-centric sport or US, uh, focus sport, if that was where the competition was, I'd pretty much shift the athlete and their coach and maybe even a family member or a supporter and we'd go and live there for the next 12 months or I'd go to Japan, I'd say, guys, we're all going to go live in Japan for 12 months and we're going to know this environment better than anybody else because if that's what you're trying to do, where you're totally focused on one athlete, one moment, they're the sort of things you do, but they cost a bucket of money. And I can go back to 2008, uh, where I was involved, still on the periphery, really, of triathlon. But a friend of mine who was leading triathlon in Australia, 
Uh, we picked up a silver medal in 2004, beaten by the mighty Kiwis, of course, in the, in the men's race. But he was pretty determined to win in 2008. And he said, well, look, instead of putting money across 10, 15, 20 athletes who might have a chance of winning, he identified an athlete who'd won a world championship, Emma Snowsell, and said, what do you need to win? And she said, well, I need to be in Europe so I can run. I need my boyfriend there for support, and he's also my training partner. I need someone to cook my meals, and I really need a mess up basically every day to help me to recover. So that was the high-performance strategy for the year leading into the Olympics, was to send her and basically set her up as her own independent little institute of sport, and she won the gold medal. doesn't always happen like that. But when you're faced with a, a situation where you're told by your board, by your CEO, when the demand is do all you can to win a gold medal, well, that's the sort of stuff you do. In terms of then what happens at the next Olympics, if you're not involved in that, if you don't have a long-term tenure, you might say, well, at the moment, I've got to focus on getting this done. But, Piney, you've got to hope that there's somebody in the organisation investing in the next generation so that it continues and you can sustain success. And unfortunately, the history of Olympic Games is, mate, that that once you've had success, once the pattern is generally that they've ignored the grassroots, they've ignored the kids in their teams, and they don't sustain it for very long. And the thing you've told us so often, Wayne, is that the biggest dropout area for for young people playing sport is around the mid teens, right? The fifteen to sixteen years of age. So these are our these are our Olympians, and for us, our All Blacks, and you know, in five or ten years. So don't we neglect them at our peril? Oh, we do, Piney. What I'm seeing with sport, I've just spoken at a, a conference in Brisbane the other day, and this came up over and over again about this, this incredible dropout rate, 15, 16. It was a guy there from eSports talking about how he'd just come back from the US and he'd been in uh, world championship level with eSports and how they're growing and how their online presence is growing. So that's not helping traditional sports in any code and in, in any country. Yeah, I've no doubt... That I, what I'm what I'm hearing the words, and I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but it's worth repeating. That rugby, definitely rugby league here, AFL. What I'm hearing the sports they've gone from talking about things like pathway from five, six, seven, eight, nine years of age. They're talking about fifteen to sixteen years being their critical capture point. Start looking for the media to pick up on this. The fifteen to sixteen years is the critical point where systems and structures and quality coaching and sports science and all those things need to be in place so that we're giving those athletes of 15, 16 years who are, as you, as you know, quite often within one Olympic cycle, they're your national team. Within two Olympic cycles, they've got to be your medal winners in most sports and definitely within two, uh, within four, five, six years, they're going to be pushing for super rugby selection or even up to All Blacks. They're the ones that, that at the moment, need our attention, but I can't emphasise enough to people how much sport is changing. It's been a recurring theme on this show every week that we're completely re-looking at junior sport right down to to grassroots. We're very much looking at this this mid-teens critical capture area and the whole area of high performance is being investigated. I've got one bit of advice I'd give New Zealand, as you know, mate, it is my second home and uh, it's not just for the little uh, lollies, uh, not for jet planes and crocodiles and um, dark beer and your company, you know, but I do love New Zealand. I got to tell you, it's probably time to pull the sport New Zealand, a high performance sport New Zealand together. 
I think there's, we've got to be unified. People got to be together, very focused, not just on high performance sport or grassroots. You just got to be focused on sport and getting kids out there doing things that they love to do with people they want to be with. That's uh, I, I see that coming as well around the world. This real integration now between grassroots through to high performance. Good stuff, and you've always been a uh, a thought leader, if I can call you that, in uh, in that space. Just before you go, Wayne, I- I've no doubt that you've uh, you've been in contact with Eddie Jones after what happened on Saturday night, while we as a nation um, watched on uh, in uh, in growing disbelief and uh, and misery. You would have enjoyed it, I'm sure, watching uh, watching your mate Eddie Jones uh, get one over on on us Kiwis. Well, I enjoyed the game. I thought the game was was fantastic. My only observations on that is the last year I've uh, I've been to a couple of Guinness Premiership clubs, I've been to a couple of AFL clubs and NRL and so on. My observation was that that environment, the English environment, was the 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 most professional, highest energy, uh, most attention to detail, professional football operation I saw all year and just the commitment to learning and I think one thing if anyone's because look there was a great article about Eddie yesterday and I think they said every nation in the world wants to get him we could talk about that another day he's a, he's a great great mind and very funny on camera but enjoying those little grabs on camera one thing they did and I strongly strongly recommend everybody look at it is they've got behind the scenes behind Mitch and behind Wise Mantle and all that They've got a guy called Neil Craig who's employed full-time as a coach developer. So he's not employed to work part-time or occasionally on coaching and a little bit of this. His job is to make the England team coaches and staff better and improving constantly. You guys have had Anoko who was an absolute genius, but I think if you're going to make an impact, I think increasingly sports, sporting teams, super rugby teams, Netball teams, you've got to be looking at somebody designated to be immersed right in the middle of football environments, sporting environments, whose only job it is, is to help the coaches and staff get better, to be more cohesive and to be accelerating their rate of learning. That's, that hasn't been spoken about and pretty probably won't speak about it too much, but that's to me has been the key. They have learned and accelerated their learning as a group faster than anybody I've seen. Just before you go, I've got a text here from Rob Wayne. It says, Wayne, it's all your fault. You let Eddie pick your coaching brains. Anyway, would you like to throw your name in the hat for the All Blacks coaching job? <laughs> no, I'm nowhere near up to that standard, mate. And I have complete faith in their <laughs> approach and their philosophy and their system to find the right person to uh, take you to even greater heights. I wouldn't get too panicked by that. I think they've got, they do a lot of things. Mate, did you see at the end of the game, they went around to the crowd and the entire All Blacks uh, group went around and bowed and said thank you to the are fantastic. They do so many things right. I think everyone's got to be very, very proud of them. Yep, we certainly are. Hey, great to chat, mate. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll uh, catch up again next Wednesday. Can't wait, mate. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.